On July 17, 1996, TWA Flight 800 left New York's JFK Airport bound for Paris. According to hundreds of eyewitnesses, it was destroyed shortly after takeoff by a missile which rose up to intercept the jetliner. Initial press reports were filled with descriptions from these witnesses, including pilots in the air at the time of the missile intercept and viewers from positions on land and sea. Because of the clear implications of a possible terrorist act, the subsequent investigation was directed not by the National Transportation Safety Board, but by the FBI. Without ever concluding definitively what caused the destruction of the Boeing 747, the official government position has been to imply strongly that the center fuel tank spontaneously exploded. According to everyone we've ever spoken to in the aviation field, if 747s were given to blowing themselves up from time to time, the entire fleet would have been grounded until the problem that caused the disaster was fixed. No grounding ever took place and no corrective steps have ever been taken. The simplest explanation for the events of 71796 remains that a missile, apparently fired from a U.S. naval vessel and intended to intercept a drone or target aircraft, instead took out a commercial jetliner with a loss of 230 lives. This hypothesis is supported by eyewitness testimony, radar tracings, the debris pattern of the two explosions which destroyed the jet, the reconstructed aircraft itself, forensic evidence from the bodies of victims, photographic evidence, and more. This unfortunate accident has been, so far, covered up successfully by the government sources, but there are those who are determined to get the truth out. Our guest today, physicist Dr. Thomas Dalkup, is the president of the Flight 800 Independent Researchers Organization. He has investigated the, the destruction of the aircraft for most of the past decade, and we're pleased to have him speak with us. Dr. Thomas Dalkup, welcome to Radio Parallax. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Can we start by addressing the simple question of, of how many lines of evidence converge on this missile explanation? Because people always can, can quibble with eyewitnesses, say they're not always reliable. But um, well, actually, let's start with how strong the eyewitness testimony is in this case, given the large number of people who actually saw what happened. It's very strong. Uh, statistics alone uh, show that you know, the missile is the most likely scenario. Uh, witnesses saw something rise from the surface of the ocean and go upward, and many witnesses actually saw collide with Flight 100. They happened to be watching Flight 100 at the time, and they saw the collision. Now, most people weren't watching Flight 100 at the time. They just saw this thing they thought was a firework rise off the ocean surface and, and explode. They thought it was a firework, and then when they heard on the news it was a plane, they were devastated. And uh, when you do statistical analysis for the witnesses who saw a rising streak of light, 86% uh, reject the official explanation. Now, if you remember, the official explanation was that the plane climbed sharply, looking like a missile, right after its nose section fell off. Right. Well, it's, it was at 13,800 feet when that happened, and the witnesses saw something rise off the surface, so there you go. It you know, completely is contradicted by a majority of the witnesses right there. Secondly, the witnesses, many of them saw it head westward. Now, as we all know, uh, the flight hunter was traveling towards Paris, so even if you accept it's okay, maybe the government was right and it climbed, which the radar data refutes as well. But even if you accept that, it would have climbed to the east. So it does not explain a westward-moving, rising, uh, very fast-moving object, which ended up exploding. And according to a National Guard pilot, it was military ordnance, not a fuel explosion, as the uh, first explosion. We should, uh, we're hobbled by the fact, of course, we're describing things, eyewitness testimony, but let, let's, for the first of maybe several times, plug your website because you have some marvelous diagrams and little uh, illustrations and even some animations there. Sure. Uh, it's 
flight800.org. That's flight800.org. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of information there, including eyewitness sketches and animations and the like. I think when you see the animation, people describing, uh, you know, a, a missile rising up above the tree line, moving, like, left to right, and then they sort of noticing afterwards, oh, my God, there's a plane there. It's very persuasive. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, one of them was very persuasive. Not only that, he had some landmarks over which, you know, he saw the collision. He said it collided with a shiny object that produced white smoke. Everyone knows the 747 in the distance. And the sun setting looks a little shiny, and then, you know, the contrails are white. So anyway... Uh, this explosion and collision occurred over these two buildings from this, you know, a witness 649's perspective. And that's precisely where Flight 100 lost electrical power. We did a line of sight study and determined that. Now, if they'd done a really a, a proper study by the, the officials, should have taken what you did there and various eyewitnesses and triangulated uh, them to corroborate what happened in three dimensions. And apparently that was not really done. No, no. There was a brief uh, one or two triangulation exercises spearheaded by the Suffolk County Police, although the Defense Intelligence Agency and the FBI were involved. There was no large-scale triangulation exercise. And in fact, during that uh, triangulation exercise, it was actually hampered by people going back to these witness locations without even the witnesses being present and actually distorting their testimony. And that's what happened with Witness 649, who had a very compelling uh, account. And, you know, like I said, and the triangular, you know, directly over those buildings was where Flanagan exploded. Right. Well, they confused his testimony by saying it occurred between these two telephone poles, which he never said. You know, they used two consecutive telephone poles, and, you know, wasn't it nowhere near where he said the collision were. Anyway, <laughs> the government uh, went with it, and they said, okay, he could not have been looking in the right direction. And, in fact, he was, and the telephone poles were not consecutive. They were, you know, one telephone pole here, one further down the street, which were not consecutive. You know, basically what I'm saying is the object rose near one telephone pole, and a collision occurred several telephone poles later down the street. Right. Now they twisted it all around to make it look like he wasn't looking in the right direction. Well, now, your group, Flight 800 Independent Researchers Organization, FIRO, has, uh, has taken a look at the radar tracings, and it appears that, uh, in fact, the radar corroborates exactly what these witnesses said. Exactly, exactly, and that's, that's the most compelling thing, I believe, is the radar data. What it shows, you know, these witnesses, especially 649, as we're focused on him because he was so compelling, um, you know, they, many of them said it went outbound, you know, uh, it rose up and went out to sea, and, and that's where Flight 100 happened to be flying, and when it exploded, it, you know, hit Flight 100 and Flight 100 came down. Well, the radar data doesn't show the missile or the object these witnesses saw, you know, no, nobody really expects it to. A missile has a very uh, small cross-section for radar return. Okay. Uh, you know, it's filtered out, you know, like they filter out birds and things like that. Right. So it doesn't confuse the air traffic controllers. Anyway, this wreckage flew out at apparent supersonic speeds, continuing along that southerly path that the witnesses described. And the radar data confirms it. Completely consistent. If a missile went up and hit the plane, you would expect debris to be exiting the aircraft at, at say, Mach 2, a very high rate of speed. High rate of speed, same direction, um, traveling. You know, this particular piece of wreckage went out about a half, an, half a mile perpendicular to the flight path before it finally slowed down enough to fall directly downward to the ocean. I was surprised on your website uh, to see some of the updates. I, I, I read about this case years ago. I have not updated it recently, but apparently um, you've got data showing the missile itself, according to the FBI, was recovered. 
or presumably the object, uh, the debris pattern that left at Mach 2 has been recovered. Hey, very interesting, yes. Now, we don't know what that was. It could be, you know, very highly damaged wreckage or missile parts. All we know is that it flew off the aircraft at apparent supersonic speeds, like I said, about a half mile uh, perpendicular to the flight path. Now, uh, the Navy did recover this wreckage. We, we found in their Navy salvage map that they recovered it. But for some reason, between the Navy and the government, it went missing. Or the Navy is the government. Between the Navy and the NTSB. Yeah. It just never got to the proper uh, investigators. I just want to say it's not listed in their official debris field database. If you corroborate, as you've done on your website, uh, the radar tracing and, and the debris pattern, that is also s consistent with a missile. Oh, yeah. yeah everything it fits like a glove, you know. <laughs> Once you put a missile into the equation, there's no unexplained evidence. Everything's explained. Once you take it out, then the government has all sorts of unexplained evidence. They can't explain the witnesses. They can't explain the radar data. They can't explain, you know, the explosives that were found in the plane. So they come up with these stories. Well, wreckage vanishes, disappears, like that piece of wreckage I told you about. Uh, the explosives were accounted for by saying they were spilled during an explosive uh, bomb training exercise conducted by the St. Louis police. Even the officer who conducted the exercise doesn't believe that one. That's an interesting point, that, that the, the initial press reports confirmed that they'd found explosives on the aircraft. They worked up this hypothesis that it was just traces of residue. You've shown that that's actually, it probably wasn't even Flight 800, the actual aircraft that was in that exercise. That's right. Now, to their credit, I, once you find explosives in a plane, sure, that, that definitely confirms that it definitely could be a missile, but you want to make sure you cover all the bases and see if it could have been some, from something else, like, say, the boots of soldiers going to the Gulf War. Sure. Or, or an explosive training exercise. And what they did was, they did that, and they jumped on this story without really researching it too much. They said, oh, yeah, it was spilled in St. Louis. Well, it turns out that plane in St. Louis was getting filled with 400 passengers on their way to Hawaii at the time. The officer who allegedly spilled it doesn't buy the story, and in fact, he said there was no one on the plane when he was doing his exercise. So it just doesn't match up. The officer doesn't believe it. And uh, this is one of those, another one of those things that the government just jumped on and ran with because right. it ended up, you know, getting rid of their evidence that right. pointed towards criminal act. Or the much more likely explanation is he was doing an exercise on another aircraft nearby, yeah. which they've then confused. I was out of the country when this happened, and when I came back, I, I called up a friend of mine. He described uh, that CNN had interviewed people who were describing that objects were being fired out to sea from Long Island that day. And in this famous photo, it appears to capture uh, an, one of these apparent drones that was fired. That is, that is what it appears to be. What happened to that photo? Apparently, uh, Linda Cabot took the photo and gave the negative to the FBI. And the FBI uh, looked at the photo and said that they think it's an aircraft, although they can't uh, d identify it. Now, uh, if I've seen the photo, it doesn't look like an aircraft. You know, I think you're right. It looks more like a drone. Or it actually looks like a cruise missile, doesn't it? Well, there are numerous websites that people are interested in this subject. I hope they will look this up. Uh, uh, a fellow named Ian Goddard's done some good work, it appears, in this, too. I don't know if it was his website or yours or exactly who, but they did publish photos of the various drones, and it, that, that's, what it, that's what this object looks like. Right, yeah, to the untrained eye, or just to the layperson, sure. And uh, the FBI experts, they said it wasn't. Uh, we're actually going to uh, be filing a lawsuit shortly for that you know, analysis of that photo, and uh, they say it was an aircraft. Does that include drones? We're not sure. You know, they're, they're very careful with their words. 
when planes go down, they have black box recorders on them. Th- this plane did. Uh, what do we know about the black box? The uh, CVR was a the cockpit voice recorder anyway. It recorded a very loud sound uh, the moment that flight 100 exploded. And they brought it over to the University of Southampton, and they had a study on it. And basically what they could determine from that, just that very short sound, because there's different microphones in the cockpit. Right. Uh, according to the experts, you can determine the actual type of explosion, if it was a high velocity or low velocity. And you can even determine where on the aircraft the explosion occurred, even if it was outside the aircraft. So this was just amazing that they can do this, and they went ahead and brought it over there, and the results of that analysis have not been released to date, <laughs> 10 years later. How odd. Yes. Author James Sanders wrote a book about Flight 800. He was sued by the government because he apparently had gotten a hold of two small swatches of fabric from the airplane seats that at, at the uh, where they were reconstructing the jet. He, he subjected those to some chemical analysis and uh, had some curious results. Can you talk about those swatches of material? Sure. Uh, basically, Sanders published some results that showed them consistent to what he believed was uh, a missile exhaust. Now, I haven't confirmed whether or not it's a missile exhaust or not, personally. But uh, we did do some work on what the government said it was, and they said it was glue from the seats. And what we showed was that, well, the result, the conclusions that Sanders found, you know, basically the chemical analysis he did is not consistent with the glue that the government says it is. I can't really comment too much about this because uh, I'm not an expert on, you know, the chemical composition of uh, rocket fuel or, or uh, bombs. But what I can say is that the government's story doesn't really hold water. Dr. Stockup, I've spoken to people at TWA. In fact, uh, a person who was normally a part of the crew that perished that day, she traded off the flight um, on that fateful uh, uh, evening. She seems quite certain, and, and it's quite clear that people at TWA know what happened. They know that it was a missile, but few have chosen to speak out. Can you, can you speculate on, on why that you think that is? Career ending, it seems for a lot of people, uh, to go against the grain. You know, whistleblowers really aren't protected the way they should be. Uh, for example, a whistleblower in the NTSB spoke out. He went to a Senate hearing, and he said, you know, the FBI was caught stealing wreckage from the hangar in the wee morning hours, and he complained that wreckage just vanished from his investigation, just disappeared. And now he's uh, investigating bus accidents. Apparently, when they did, uh, they, they recovered the bodies of an awful lot of victims, and, and my understanding is they, they were people waiting by at the autopsy for material they may have recovered from the bodies of the victims. That is a very curious thing, and one wonders what those things were they were waiting for. Um, what do we know about that at present? Well, we know that, the, like you said, the FBI was present during all the autopsies and anything that was found in the body. I mean, Dr. Uh, Wetley or Shanahan, one of them said, you know, the shrapnel in almost all the bodies. Shrapnel implies explosion. That well, that's the term he used. Uh, not really sure. Uh, yeah, that that is that's true. It maybe just a term that he used loosely. I'm not sure, but right, uh, right. I'm just I'm just quoting him. Anyway, uh, the FBI took all that material, and we tried to get that in a FOIA lawsuit, and we lost the uh, appeals court here in in uh, Boston. Uh, sided with the FBI, and when they said they couldn't find the uh, results of these, the analysis of this, these, you know, forensic uh, objects, uh, we just have to take their word for it. They can't find it, they can't find it. You've been engaged in quite a few legal battles. Uh, my understanding is that there is satellite data. There is, that, that there was 
information from satellites overflying this area that in theory should clear up a lot of uh, the mystery of what happened and that's that's been held back for security reasons that's correct I uh, believe another a member of our organization is suing for that data and uh, yeah, yeah you're right the Times reported that the satellite recorded something you know approaching passing and turning and then hitting flight 800 and uh, I've spoken to those Times reporters the Times of London, it's not the New York Times. And one of them told me, you know, he was told from his bosses to, to back off. Interesting. Apparently a lot of people in the media were told to back off. Uh, Christina Borgeson was working at CBS. She tried to pursue the story and was told that she really shouldn't do that, and it was not a good career move for Christina. Mm, yeah. You, you want to comment on the media's complicity in this apparent cover-up? Yeah, sure. I, that, that's That's the... That's the biggest problem here. I mean, Flight 800 is a terrible tragedy, but this is just a pattern that, that we see in the media time and time again. When there's a story that the officials in Washington don't want to get out or they want to get their own story, that if it, even if it doesn't make sense, you know, the government or the media just doesn't do, do, uh, perform their watchdog role. They uh, apparently would rather have access to their sources than to go against their sources. Dr. Stalkup, in, in the end, it appears that obviously the simplest explanation here is what everyone, the, all the initial reports said, that a missile rose up, destroyed the aircraft. Uh, this would obviously be a tremendous embarrassment for the military, a, a gaffe like that. You can understand their reluctance to come forward with admitting what happened. But um, what can we learn about cover-ups? My, my feeling is that if you can cover this up, you can seems you can cover up anything. That's exactly how I feel. Uh, yeah, that's that's basically why I've been working so hard at this for so long, because it's simple for anyone. Anyone listening can go online and go to our website and go to the, go, you know, have links to the official documents and find, you know, read the witness reports and see the radar data for themselves and, and convince themselves very quickly that, you know, it, you know, surely the government's theory wasn't correct. And when all that evidence is out there and it's, it's so clear and plain as day, and the media is so complicit. It's just amazing to me that uh, something like this can be covered up successfully. And uh, once again, it, it goes to the media. They're not performing their watchdog role. Let's give your website again. I know people are going to want to read more about this and look it up and, and, and hopefully support your efforts. So where can they go again? Yeah, it's uh, flight800.org. That's flight800.org. All righty. Dr. Thomas Dockup. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM. Let's take a short break.